Hello, constant listener. This week, I'd like to share with you that sometimes I practice lucid dreaming, a method by which a dreamer is conscious of the fact that they are dreaming and mentally work to alter the narrative of the dream. Christopher Nolan popularized this in his thriller, Inception, that you may create a way to know if you're awake or dreaming. When I remember to test myself, it's usually with obscure methods, like standing next to a cliff and not feeling the fear of the height, or, you know, trying to breathe underwater. Those realizations snap me out of my autopilot in dreams and I take the next steps on my own to push myself into any environment. I've sailed through the stars, felt the joy of flight with just my body. I've built utopias for the world, and then woke up feeling invigorated for my day because I live such a double life at night. However, just two weeks ago, I had a lucid dream that did not go as I expected, and it harkened back to a memory I had as a child. I'd like to tell you about that memory. When I was 11, my parents took me to visit Universal Studios in Hollywood, the Backlot Tour. That was my favorite. There was the courtyard from Bye Bye Birdie and Back to the Future. I saw the real-life house and motel from Hitchcock's Psycho, and a myriad of other sets from films I loved. Even as a young child, I consumed many old classic Hollywood movies. So visiting these sets made my little heart so happy. After the tour, Mom and Dad pointed me in the direction of a walkthrough attraction for The Mummy. I thought it was going to be a museum, and the first part of it absolutely was just that. Glass cases filled with the film memorabilia, props, and costumes from the Brendan Fraser hit. And yes, I said Fraser, and not Fraser. Turns out I'd been saying his name wrong for a long time. However, as we progressed through this museum walk, I didn't understand it was going to turn into a haunted house. Walking into the first dark chamber surrounded by faux stone, lanterns, and a narrow walkway, I felt myself clam up and immediately grab my mother's hand. To this day, anyone who has gone through a haunted house with me can tell you that when I'm scared, I have a grip so strong that more than one person in my life have asked me to let go because they could no longer feel their hand. This, unfortunately, was also the case for my mother. She lovingly asked me to let go because I was too much. I insisted on walking in the middle of our group. My mom and my little brother were just ahead of me and my dad was behind me. But this haunted house was more complex than any I'd experienced before. There were multiple paths. A universal actor in robes and holding an onk staff held up his hand. Halt, he said. You and you go this way. And you go that. He pointed to my mother and my little brother, asking them to go to the right, and my father and I to go to the left. He was splitting us up. My father and I obeyed. We went left, and mom and my little brother went right. Up through this point, we could normally see other strangers, park goers really, who were walking just ahead of us on this path. This sort of thing 
really helped to break up the atmosphere. It wasn't as scary if I could see a perfect stranger in front of me. But this new path the actor sent us on, there was no one here. It was so empty. I clutched onto my father's arm tightly. I began to heave deep breaths of anxiety and felt like I was going to start crying. My dad looked down at me and noticed I wasn't doing so well. You okay there, Tosh? I shook my head no. Well, can I tell you a secret? I looked up to my dad. What? Whenever I'm in scary places like this, do you know what I tell myself so I'm not afraid? I stopped walking. You're not scared? I said in awe and a slight disgust, as though my dad was absolutely crazy. No, I'm not. Because whenever I'm in a place like this, I can choose how I see it. I can either be afraid of what is happening around me, or I can choose to see it like I'm on an adventure. There is nothing in this room I cannot outsmart, outwit, or outthink. Choose to be the adventurer, Toddy. Toddy was my father's baby nickname for me. Besides, you remember the movie. It was more like an adventure anyway, right? With that, I felt a wave of relief come to me, and we started walking again. I let go of his arm, and the room suddenly felt like just a room again. Scary lights and sound effects still abounded, but I saw through them now. So, in going back to the lucid dream I had two weeks ago, I was standing at a great precipice above a lake surrounded by red rocks. The lake stretched out as far as the eye could see, with some rock formations interrupting the waterline. I looked down. I was likely over 40 feet high, and I wasn't afraid. That's when I knew. I'm dreaming. I turned my back to the drop-off and felt my heels rock back, sending all of me falling over the side down to the water. I broke through the surface on my back, but somehow the viscosity of the water was so thin that I continued to fall quickly, not feeling the water break my fall very well. Facing up toward the water's surface while I sunk under more and more, at about 30 feet down, the light began to darken. Light only penetrates so far in water before it dissipates, and I knew I was so far deep that there would be no way I'd be able to reach air in time, considering how much farther I fell without expecting it. Knowing I was dreaming, I swung my body and head to my left. I willed a second water surface into existence about three feet in front of me, almost like a portal. I surfaced into a waterway underneath a city. I'd never been to this city before. I made my way upward to the street. It was busy with cars whose styles blended from spaceship-like to that of a 1930s art deco. I wish I had a talent for sketching, because I would love to have drawn you what it was I saw. The streets were lined with tall, side-by-side -side housing units, similar to New York. I walked up a set of stone steps and entered a home. It was poshly decked out in Victorian-style furnishings, fixtures, and wallpaper. 
As I stood there, I asked myself, what happens if I try to bend what's around me? What would it show me? Mentally, I began to bow out and flex the walls. A tight pressure surrounded me and it pushed me back. I felt the floor give out from underneath me, and I started to tumble downward. Looking up, I could see the room. It was getting smaller and farther away the more I fell through absolute black nothingness of space. What's worse, I was losing my lucid control, and I could feel it. When I stopped falling, I found myself sitting in a driver's seat of a little beat-up blue car. There was still blackness around myself and the car, however, my inner ear felt like I was moving forward. This is difficult to explain, as there was nothing around me to determine a sense of motion. The car came to a stop. A humming began to resonate from my left. I looked up. A woman, pigmented in nothing but black and white shades, stepped forward. One dragging foot at a time. Her white nightgown was ripped up toward her ankles, and the whole thing was rubbed over in dirt and streaks of black something. Her hands were caked in dirt with broken fingernails. Then I noticed her face as she walked up to my window to stare in. Her face was upside down and a far too wide grin stretched almost to the full width of her head. She was horrifying to look at. And again, I felt a pushback once more to lose control of my lucid dream. A strange sensation came over me as I looked at her. I said to her through the car window, I know you. Her grin widened even more and the metal car about me splintered apart like exploding wood. My mind was being forced. Blackness started to take me and shift me into the next nightmare. A nightmare she wanted me to have. I felt one last thought come to me in comfort. I do not fear, for I am the adventurer. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. Please be advised, even though the following subjects are mentioned inside of a nightmare format, the following story has violent depictions, self-harm, and projected suicide. This nightmare was submitted by constant listener Alyssa of Orlando, Florida. This is a nightmare I would have often as a kid. I didn't understand what lucid dreaming was, that lucid dreaming doesn't mean having full control, it can mean just feeling like you're making conscious choices. I had lots of choices when it came to the basement stairs that led to nowhere. As a child, there was a door at the back of my garage that was locked every time I tried to open it. I don't remember exactly when I had the first dream of this, or in what order everything happened, but I dreamt about this door so often that I remember the progressions of each pathway. I'll do my best to help you see what I saw. This door would only be unlocked for me 
when I was alone in the dream. No one else would be present. If they were, the door would stay locked. Pathway number one. I've entered through the door to the basement stairs that led to nowhere. I don't remember arriving at the door, but I was compelled beyond my reasoning to open it and step inside. As the door swung, it opened up to a small square cement platform. A single light bulb hung with a pull string illuminating the small area. Straight ahead of the platform was an endless staircase that proceeded down into darkness. Directly to my left and right were two more doors to choose from. I often chose the door on the right. I've had people ask me why I didn't just walk out again. Back to the garage? Once inside, the basement door behind me would open to the same basement landing, an echo of the exact staircase where I stood. There was no way back once I entered. So, in knowing I couldn't go back, I would choose to go forward. I looked over the door on the left and took a step back from it. I had a gut feeling of something sinister when I looked at it. It's probably why I chose the right door for as long as I did. The door on the right proceeded down a switchback staircase lined with grey stones. I remember thinking how odd the choice of design was because they all looked like garden pathway stones. The staircase then opened up into a vast, unfinished basement room. This room was deep and had uniquely tall ceilings. There was nothing in this warehouse of a room save for a single hovering lamplight over a wooden chair with armrests. The legs of this chair were bolted to the ground. Straps where the ankles and wrists would have sat. Wires snaked around it and up to a helmet that rested on the chair. Not any chair. It's an electric chair. In trying to think critically, I knew the wires had to lead somewhere. But as I began to venture out into the open space, a prick was felt at my neck. I was out of time. He had found me. I should have paid more attention. Mercifully, I woke up. Sometimes, when this man found me, the dream continued into a worse fate that I grew to hate over time. Pathway number two. I've entered through the door to the basement stairs that led to nowhere. I gazed down into the stairway darkness. I began to descend, one stair step at a time. I heard the echoes of my small feet patter on the cement. Then I heard something, labored breathing looming just ahead of me. My memory came flooding back in a slight panic. I have come this way before. I have taken the dark stairs. He walked up two or three steps, just into the hazed edge of the light. His grim appearance made him seem sickly, but I knew he was far stronger than he looked. All black clothing was what he wore. It camouflaged him in here in the cover of darkness until I was too close. The man in shadows, 
He waited on the steps like a black bear, snarling, hungry, and patiently waiting for me. For if I did not come to him, he followed me wherever I went. I felt myself freeze as he stared up at me. And he grinned. I turned to run up the stairs, already knowing I wouldn't be quick enough. I felt a cold hand wrap around my ankle and give a violent yank. This pulled my legs out from under me, my whole self slammed down, punching the air out of my stomach and chest on the ridged stairs. My chin smacked onto a step. The way my teeth smashed together from the impact was always painful. In a slight daze, I'd turn over on my back to see how the Shadow Man flew up the stairwell toward me. My eyes widened at the syringe in his left hand. With deft accuracy, he swung it down, piercing my neck. The familiar prick feeling came, and I would go numb before blacking out. Sometimes I'd wake up once he caught me, but sometimes I didn't. My dreaming self regained consciousness. I tugged on my arms. They were fastened tight. I was in the basement of the right side door, strapped to the electric chair. I saw the shadow man standing there, just at the edge of the light. He was next to something. A switch. Sometimes he'd flip the switch right away, sending lightning through me while I screamed. Other times, he'd begin what I have since named the Crucible. One by one, single spotlights about me in the room would turn on. Each spotlight had a loved one standing there and staring at me. The first time I went through the Crucible, I screamed and pled with them to help me. No one moved. But when my loved ones did speak to me, I'd never felt such a deep loneliness in my life. One by one, they'd tell me the most horrible things. It is hard to define what they said and convey the emotional impact. But consider those whom you love. And then they all speak and confirm every insecurity, every deafening claim of your invalidation as a human. Anything you could imagine that would gut you and make you feel unloved and abandoned. Eight-year-old me would hear this from my mother, whom I looked up to and wanted to emulate. Or my father, who was always the one to scoop me up into his arms when my brothers teased me. To hear both of them not only start to say statements that would have killed me if I was awake, but they would begin to overlap and talk over one another into a cacophonous shrill, screaming at me. Not just my mom and dad, a lot of people. The Shadow Man would just watch me. The more despair and panic I felt, the more pleasure he got from it. I would feel my will to live and sanity begin to break. And when it did, that is when I woke up. After a few evenings of ending up in the electric chair, I began to grow tired of the Shadow Man's game. I'd try not cowering, just mouthing off, and I'd still end up in the electric chair. I looked out from my bonded seat to the spotlights of people I loved. Over time, I rationalized, these are not my parents, not my loved ones, not my friends. They couldn't be. They must be his servants or something. Once, while in the chair, the strap around my right wrist just so happened to be loose enough I wriggled free. 
The Shadow Man happened to be turned around, working on the switches and gears. This was my chance to run. I ran in between the spotlight people to reach the switchback staircase. But passing them was strange. As I got close enough to look at them, there were not only facial features that weren't exactly right, but I stopped to look at my best friend Lily's face in particular. I reached out to hold her hand. Surely there must be something good still in there. As I clasped her hand in mine, I let go and recoiled back. Something under her skin was wiggling. A lot of somethings. As I recoiled from Lily, I accidentally bumped into my first grade teacher, Mr. Bagley. I looked up to him. At first, the spotlight was directly over his head and it darkened his features. But a slight shift and I could see exactly what was wrong with him. His skin was moving. Portions of a worm writhed underneath his left eye, making it twitch a little as it slid around under his skin. All of these people were stuffed corpses, puppeteered by worms that filled their bodies. I felt even more dread drive through my heart. They were, in a way, the Shadow Man's servants. But also, they were the shells of all of my loved ones gone, just to torture me. This is when I'd woken up. Pathway number three. I've entered through the door to the basement stairs that led to nowhere. For the first time, I wanted to try the door to the left. The door to the left also produced a small stairway that dog-legged to the right into a new room. Something about this room made me feel dizzy, like the floor underneath me was on a ship rocking in the ocean. Hard to explain unless you've been on a cruise before, or perhaps you're sitting backwards on the train and your eyes are closed when it lurches forward. For a moment, gravity shifts, and yet it's somehow the same. Everything behind the door to the left was flexible, like a fun house where the laws of physics didn't always quite apply. A mirage made just for me. The first room in itself wasn't special. A second stairway to go even further down was across the room. However, just to my left again was an intricate door with markings all over it. Within this big wood door, there was a large tree. It was a relief that was carved out from it. Around the wooden tree was an intricacy of iron lattices. I tugged on the handle, and the door didn't budge. I took the second stairway down, and came upon a simple door at the bottom. I hesitated opening it. This particular path was my very first time going this far this way. I wasn't sure if the Shadow Man would come and pull me away before I could open the door. I turned to look up the small stairway, expecting to see him. And he wasn't there. I waited moments longer, then realized a lot of time had passed. Does the Shadow Man never come through the door to the left? I felt a slight relief that perhaps I'll be able to find my happy ending this way after all. I opened the door at the bottom of the stairs here. A hall of mirrors laid out before me. As I stepped through, the door slammed shut behind me. Naturally. It locked. 
As I proceeded forward through this labyrinth, I saw dozens of me's, either looking to the left or right at myself or to the back of my head. As I walked through the room as best I could, sometimes one of me, in a reflection, would for a half second make a face back at me, sometimes out of the corner of my eye, but other times they were brazen. They'd pretend to be afraid. They'd point over my shoulder as though something was behind me. I should look. I looked. Nothing was there, just more reflections of me. But off in the distance, between the ocean of reflections, I saw a single mirror that reflected far, far away. This mirror had something that was not me. It was a woman in a long, slender black dress, beautiful long black hair that went down to her waist. I only saw the back of her and held out hope. Could she be the one to help me? I turned around once more. A doppelganger stood there looking sinister. Not a reflection. This version of Alyssa stood right beside me, full flesh. Her face began to melt as she laughed. I backed into the mirror behind me. Her sagging skin made her eyes droop and her teeth slide out of her gums. She grabbed my neck with both hands and pounded my head into the mirror behind me over and over again. I couldn't breathe and felt a warm gushing of blood drip down the back of my neck. I knew I was dying. This is when I woke up. Pathway number four. I've entered through the door to the basement stairs that led to nowhere. I go to the door to the left. If the shadow man doesn't follow me here, then I could find out why. I descend the small stairway into the single room with another stairway and a large wooden door with a tree in it. I tug on the large wooden door, still locked. I looked over the intricate tree carved and relieved out from the door. There was a hole, a knot in the trunk of the tree, just big enough for my hand. I paused a moment, wondering if I wanted to unlock this door at all. It's been sealed the entire time I've been here, with every visit to the basement stairs that led to nowhere. I took a brave and shuddering breath, then clenched my hand into a fist. I reached into the hole. I didn't feel anything, but heard a latch click. The door swung a little open toward me. I used a lot of force to move such a large and heavy door but it did move just enough for me. This room looked complacent at first. A fireplace roared with light. I saw a braided rug, a pillowy couch, and large Greek-like statuettes made of purple jade. They were all life-sized and placed about the room. Despite everything that would seem like comfort, I felt my heart pounding. I'm glad you came to see me this time. I looked again to the couch, and there was a woman there now. She was the woman from the Hall of Mirrors. But this time, she was in a red dress, with sleeves that draped off her shoulders. I remember understanding how pretty she was. Long, straight, flowing black hair that draped over her silk-like skin. And her voice. It was like coming home. 
silver and sweet. Yet, I never actually felt consoled. I remember looking at her dress in such admiration. It was the exact sort of thing I wished I could wear when I got old enough. She lifted a single porcelain teacup to her full pink lips. I looked down to her neck. An emblem of a tree with twisted roots extended out onto a large circle made of gold. Some of the marks on the tree jewelry were similar to that on the door. Sit down. I immediately sat down on the far side of the couch without asking any questions. I could not look away from her. She was everything I wanted to be when I grew up. As a child, I was clumsy, thin but not slender, and I had slightly frizzy red hair, freckles, and glasses that other kids made fun of me for. Tell me your name. I jumped at telling her my name. Alyssa. It was like the words were sucked out of my mouth involuntarily. I didn't have a problem telling her my name, but the fact that it felt so forced was the first sign that something isn't right here. I looked back to the door I'd entered through to try to recalibrate how far I'd have to run if I needed to. Oddly, the wall was stretched a long way away, farther than I remember walking up toward the couch. Find my book. Her voice slid a little. It seemed strange. She looked over at me and smiled. It was a beautiful smile, the kind that you couldn't look away from, even though it made you a little bit sick. I felt a compulsion to stand up and walk over to a wooden mount. There was an enormous leather book that sat open by a burning candle. I held a metal quill and sloppily signed my name in her book. I didn't want to. I felt like something was wrong. I couldn't stop myself. With each pen stroke, my hand trembled. When I finished, the book grew teeth and eyes, then suddenly slapped shut with my arm caught inside it. My skin popped little rips where I was punctured. The book's teeth let go again to just look like a book. My blood spilled out all over the page where my name was. All done. The woman said, slightly adjusting her dress and tree necklace. She rubbed the necklace with her thumb and forefinger, thoughtfully looking into the fireplace. I was crying hysterically. There was just so much blood everywhere. She gave me a simpering smile how black her eyes looked in this light. You should go into the fire. I love the way your skin smells when it burns. My eyes grew wide as I was still cradling my hemorrhaging arm. I looked her over and felt the room flex with energy. I had a realization hit my stomach. The room behind the door to the left always felt funny. As I stood there, I realized all of it was coming from this woman. The rules of physics applied less around her, and flexibility of reality was hers to make. The Shadow Man doesn't come here because of her. I was fighting it, but my foot took a sliding step forward. The mantle stretched open like a gaping maw, the tongue of fire within it flicking and even outreaching for me from the log pit. Go she said forcibly. 
The floor underneath me started to bend and stretch like a trampoline. I lost my footing and I fell into the fire, burning myself alive. This is when I woke up. Pathway number five. The woman's room was unlocked now. A Pandora's box that couldn't be closed, and I knew it. Most bets were off now. I'd tried to go to the pathway to the right because I knew what Shadow Man would do, and I felt like I had a better chance of survival or waking up before something horrible happened. But not the woman. Sometimes she'd make me think I was taking the door to the right, and I'd end up in her parlor. She was demanding. In every instance I met her, I couldn't help anything at all. Whatever she wished me to do often led to harming myself for her entertainment. I was powerless to stop it. I killed myself over and over whenever I came to her. I knew I was dreaming, but I could never stop it. Once, I remember asking her about the tree emblem necklace on her neck. She didn't like that I'd asked her about it. Her demeanor changed from complacent to angry. Then her face got calm as she looked over me. I think I'm bored with you. She began to rub the tree necklace again. A tingling sensation, like when your arm falls asleep, started to buzz from my fingertips. I looked down to my hand. My fingers were turning to stone. The transition slowly crawled up over my wrist like an ice frost. I was turning into purple jade. Desperation clenched my heart as I looked up at the other statues in the room. What if she means it this time? What if I don't get to wake up? I felt hot tears roll down my cheeks. She was laughing at me and bent down to look me in the eye. I felt a swell of anger rise up deep within me. More rage summoned than I'd ever felt in my life to that point. I shoved my solid purple jade arm down her throat to stop her from laughing at me. She was shocked and choked for a moment. I used my other free hand to grab the necklace and break it off her neck. I withdrew my hand from her mouth quickly. I felt happiness as I saw it return to normal. But the woman was not a woman. She screamed and I could hear the cracking of bones as she convulsed onto the floor. Her body grew and morphed. An enormous spider the size of a dinner table was before me. A black spider with a red hourglass. I held the tree emblem necklace to my chest and willed myself to the large wooden door far away on the other side of the room. The room bent itself to accommodate me while a dazed spider slipped on the flexing floor. She couldn't grab me. I placed myself on the other side of the wooden door and locked it behind me by placing my hand into the tree trunk of the door. As I ran back up to the landing of the basement stairs that led to nowhere, I had a realization. There's only one path I'd never gone all the way through. The final path. I stood at the top of the landing holding the necklace. Energy from it was enough to make your nose bleed. But just the same, I began to walk down the endless stairs. I was walking toward the Shadow Man. And just like so, 
he was there waiting for me. And like before, he grinned, until his eye caught a glint of gold in my little fist. I squeezed the gold tree, and he screamed, turning into a puff of mist that slowly settled down toward the ground. I walked over him and down more into the darkness. As I descended, the necklace began to glow, with enough light to equal a single flame. As I walked down deeper and deeper, I realized I could no longer see the top of the basement stairs. After walking for what felt like a long time, I reached the bottom landing. As I looked the door over, there wasn't a handle, but a slot. I looked at the emblem necklace, and it fit perfectly. It's an unusual key. I remember thinking that. The door had trouble opening, as though it had not opened for a millennia. A warm wind with sunshine came through. As I stepped out, I looked over the scene. It was a big, vast meadow with rolling grass in the wind. A snow-capped mountain was in the distance. I felt warm, complete, and relieved. I pulled the tree emblem out from the door and offered it up to the sun. This is when I woke up. I had this dream so many times that when I was awake, my mother once was moving boxes out from behind the garage door and she left it unlocked by accident. I was so excited, I ran to it, I wanted to explore it. But to my disappointment, it was a storage room. I even crawled around behind dusty boxes, looked under a table. I just searched for anything that would indicate that the stairway was there. But of course, it was only a dream. After I'd seen the storage room, I never dreamt of that place again. Thank you for listening. This is a story I wrote to have a happy ending. Fiction is a way we can write our own paths and create our own worlds as we like to see them or expose worlds for things we don't wish to see. As this constant listener told me her tale, I felt like she deserved a happy ending because sadly she told me that she never got to have one. Friends, do not fear and choose to be the adventurer. As always, if you like this episode, please feel free to share it on your social media or come and visit us on the Facebook page. I'll be releasing the recorded interview of this nightmare so that you could hear the original story from the constant listener. Thank you for being here, and I'm very, very grateful to you. And I'll see you next week.